happy spring! Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Jim Cato, Associate Vice President of Christian Ministries. Jim has faithfully served with Christian Ministries for over 40 years, including taking various trips with Global Outreach. One of these trips changed his life. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein. Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. My guest today is no stranger to anyone who's attended Cedarville University in the past 40 years. His favorite place to visit is Moscow, Russia. He took his first job in church ministry way back in 1975. And his favorite sport to follow is college basketball, Mm. especially Indiana University. Jim Cato earned a bachelor's degree in music from Cedarville, and today he oversees the Christian Ministries Department at the university, which includes global outreach, production services, the discipleship ministry, and managing the logistics for the university's daily chapel services. Still, I think he's best known for leading the Heartsong Music Ministry that sends multiple groups across the country each year to share the gospel through song and to represent Cedarville University. I look forward to talking with Jim today about these topics. So, Jim, welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast for the very first time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Jim, why is visiting Moscow, Russia, your most favorite place to visit in the world? Mm, I, I would say one of the most favorite. There's several. Um, but Moscow, I think, was um, kind of shocking to me because I grew up in the 60s. I grew up in the Cold War yeah. time, yeah. and I was— you know, we were told all kinds of things about Russians. They're all big and fat and have gold teeth <laughs> and are really mean. And to be there and to experience the people, which were just, the people were incredible. So they're not what your stereotype No, no. But uh, I was traveling with a, 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 a man that goes in and out of Russia a lot. And he asked me, what's the biggest surprise? And I said, well, I'm not sure I want to tell you. And he said, no, go ahead and be honest with me. And I said, well, the women are beautiful. And and he's like he just laughed. He says almost everybody that I talk to that I bring over here they say the same thing because it's you're not ex, you were expecting you know like really brawny women carrying right you know rifles because right. it's just right this it, you'd have to grow up during the Cold War to kind of understand right. that but we were just we were bred to hate Russians yeah we we so were. that was a shocking thing Moscow was beautiful the people were amazing it was just a it was a great time. So as, as I was uh, searching for topics to talk with you today on the program, I learned that to the surprise of probably many who hear this podcast, that you are a big time sports fan. Hmm. You follow the pro teams in Indianapolis, you look the Colts and the Pacers, you pull for the Atlanta Braves, and somewhat to my surprise, you're a big time fan of Indiana University Athletics. Yep. Where did this love of sports come from? Oh man, I I don't know. My dad was a sports fan, but I just always I grew. I can't remember not. I wanted to play football desperately. I just there was something about just hitting people. But I was so small yeah. that I was terrible <laughs> at it. And that is actually what I finally my ninth grade year of football. I'm just like I'm done with this because if I can't be the best, I'm just not going to play this game. And I yeah. and it drove me actually to music, but. But uh, I, I lived in uh, uh, Bloomington, Indiana. My dad was a pastor. Oh, I grew up in Indiana. Yeah. So um, we uh, became IU fans at, at that point. And um, 
pre-Bobby Knight. The first year that Indiana ever went to the Rose Bowl in football was the first year we lived in Bloomington. Is that the last year they've, they've that been to the Rose Bowl? first and the last, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are no threat to the Buckeye fans. <laughs> well, I, I'm not a Buckeye fan, but uh, you're right. I don't think you are a threat to really no, many no. Big Ten teams in the football. You, you talked about uh, growing up playing football. What what position did you play or what position did you want to play? <laughs> I'll just tell you how I got out of football. That You know these big tackling dummies, you know, and they have the, the handles on the side. And Were you, you the dummy? Them. Well, kind of. So I'm supposed to hold this while these <laughs> brutes come through and, like, practice forearm shivers on the and they And I was so small. Like, they'd come through and, like, give me a forearm, and it would knock me <laughs> over on, on my backside. And so I am – I am screaming at these guys, you know, yeah. is that the best you can do? And I'm just carrying on. And the coach stopped practice because I was so out of control. Really? And he said, if you guys had half the heart that Cato had, we would never lose a game. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's, is that a compliment? <laughs> I mean, it's like, and I'm like, no, it's not really. And it's, <laughs> I can't play. Yeah. And so that's when I, it's in a small kind of way, non-joking, God really used that moment yeah. to redirect my desires and my passions and put me someplace where uh, he had prepared for me to do yeah. a, a life's work yeah, as I, it were. And we're going to get to that. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I also learned Jim that you really enjoy going on cruises. Mm -hmm. Where where have you cruised and do you have a favorite trip that you could share about? If um, we've cruised pretty much every place in the Caribbean. I like San Juan, San Old San Juan is a really neat mm -hmm. place. The islands are about the same, though. I just like being away. No phones, really, and okay. no internet, and all the food you can eat floating <laughs> it, on the water. It's a great deal. Is that the best deal? <laughs> it's the best deal, yes. So have you doing nothing? What are what are things that you like to do on a cruise? Just I, I try to read a little bit, and um, the formal dining is actually something that I really enjoy. I See, I, I grew up in a season where you, know, you weren't allowed to go to the prom right. back in the day, so... Right. So getting all dressed up in formal attire and going to the formal dining on the, on the boat, which they don't do as much as they used to, but my wife and I actually enjoy that. Uh, it sounds kind of silly, but but we we enjoy doing that. And um, so it's just uh, sitting in a chair doing yeah. a lot of nothing. I, I enjoy any kind of history or architecture that I can see on any of the stops. Okay, and that that I really love seeing the history of different countries and islands and some of the buildings that are there. San Juan has two forts in in the old San Juan that I just, I love walking through those and imagining the history there. So when you were a college student back in the late seventies, early eighties, was it your dream to be serving in Christian ministry, specifically in music? Hmm. Actually, when I was a college student, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, uh, when I went away, I went to actually a small Bible college first and, and mm -hmm. ended up dropping out or kicked out or some combination of the two. I don't know. <laughs> and I uh, got married and, uh, and then ended up coming because of a friend of mine uh, kept saying, you need to come to Cedarville. You need to come to Cedarville. It's a guy that I had known. Sure. And, uh, and so we packed up everything we had in a U-Haul and um, drove to Cedarville. I don't even, I'm not even sure I was enrolled. We didn't have a place to live. And just, God, I don't know what you want to do with me, but I know that I have to get back in school and finish school. And I had no idea. that The day that I got my diploma, we walked out in front of Old Main, Founders Hall. Founders. And they had used to have a big white sign out there that said Cedarville College. Those okay. who have been around, that you know that sign. 
I got to that sign and somebody wanted to take a picture of me standing by the sign. And, and I remember just weeping like, okay, I got this diploma. I have no idea. Even then you didn't know what you wanted to do. I had no idea. And, uh, someone, uh, Harold Green, who, uh, PG, PG, um, called me and says, Hey, we got a team going to Australia. Would you lead that team? I'd heard you did some music things and would you, yeah. And I led that team. That was my first connection to Christian ministries. And, um, and right after I was actually working at the radio station at the time at CDR radio okay. full time. Okay. I as start, a student, mm-hmm, I just started, I worked there as a student part time. And then I, I started working full time in, I think 1983 okay. uh, for the radio station and uh, a job came open in Christian Ministries, and I applied for it. They they didn't seem very interested at all in hiring me. <laughs> I was too young. I didn't have any experience. But they couldn't get anybody to take the job. So I took. they finally offered the job to me, which I, I couldn't believe that I could get a job training music teams to travel and do itinerant ministry because I'd done some of that in college and I loved that. Yeah. So it was literally a dream job that I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. But uh, for, you know, the last, for 30 of the 40 years, that's been, that's been pretty much what I've done. Train, train these music teams. Let's go back to, uh, you leave the school out West, small little Bible college. Yeah. What did you see at Cedarville when you came that said, yeah, this is, this is where I want to be, or this is where I should Mm -hmm. be. I think from the very beginning, I had this sense that Cedarville was conservative theologically, but at that same time, engaged culture. And most of my upbringing in the church and in school was to to draw away from culture, mm-hmm. to you know, to be separated from the world. It was all separation. We got to separate from everything. Right. And that never sat well with me. It never made sense to me. I didn't even understand why. But at Cedarville, I found this thing, wait a minute, there's not this overwhelming desire to to pound the pulpit and say, here's all the things we don't do. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people that have been at Cedarville, it's like, well, I thought there was a lot of rules when I was there. But right. from where I came from, not even, not even close to the amount of rules I was used so to. So you grew up in a very um, maybe a rigid home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had loving parents, but they, but they were engrossed in a, a system um, that had been taught um, that was very external driven. Right. Here's all the things we don't do. Right. And that's how we know that we are yeah. close, that, that we're godly, that we're Christians. And so that caused, the, as, a, as a teenager, terrible struggle with sure. my faith because I must, maybe I'm not even a Christian because right. Right. I like this music that I'm being told is sin. Right. Yeah. So it was a struggle for me. And one of the first moments with that, they had a, used to have something here called a, a pops concert. Mm. Um, and I remember going to that the first time and the, the concert chorale sang a, a carpenter's medley really? of all things. Yeah. But we weren't even allowed to listen to that, right? You know, because it was you know pop music, and that was the that was just a time of era that we grew up in. Yes, I mean it's the same for me. Yeah, um, but well, that 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 medley of songs was just overwhelmingly. Oh man, this is incredible! Yeah, it was so freeing, and it sounds yeah. it sounds comical now to talk about it, but yeah. it was real. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that you 
basically stumbled on a, your to your dream job because you didn't really know it, yeah. it was a, a job that you could have a career in. Um, one of our colleagues identified you as a Cedarville legend who is an incredible leader in music. So how did you take this career job 40 years ago and how did you allow it to shape your life? But then how did you, how, how did you shape that profession here at Cedarville? I, I, I would probably say that I, I didn't, I don't know that I've shaped anything. Um, I mean, scripture talks about us being uh, God's workmanship. If that's true, I'm God's workmanship. He had a plan for me of good works that he wanted me to do and that he equipped me to do. He has put that within me. So right after I got the job in Christian ministries, I had no idea what I how to do the job. Right. And I went to at the time up on off of Bechtel Lane, the old mall, Springfield Mall, which is pretty debunked now, but there was a Chinese restaurant there, and I remember specifically going to that Chinese restaurant, and I had a little notebook, and I sat down, and it was I was supposed to – it was a daytimer back when oh, those boy. were popular. Yeah, it's old and time. It's, to do daytimer, they said you have to plan what your life goals are. Right. And so I sat down, and I had my brand-new daytimer. I had it open, and a little card that was color-coded with you're supposed to write your life. And, I'm, and I sat there and said, God, what are what is it? Yeah. And I – I don't want to get too mystical, but I just, I, I got, you're supposed to worship me. Well, isn't that what and, we all should yeah. be doing? So that was number one. I wrote it down on the card. I still got the card, worship right. God. And then number two was teach others to worship me. Yeah. And number three was love my family. Okay. And I'm, people thought it's way out of order. That's not, well, number one and number two never get in the way of number three. No. And so... God began to shape in me, what does this mean to use music in, in the attempts that we make to worship God? And so I'm reading every book I can find, going to conferences, and God just began to shape me and shape a philosophy and a theology of, of ministry and just try to lift up Christ. And if there's any success in that, it's because God ordained me before the time. Right to have that giftedness and to do those things in this place for such a long time. I'm like, I'm I'm the big joke on the music department at Cedarville. I'm like, they, I I always say that they probably don't even claim me, but here I still am four years later because I was not the best student. I, I, I struggled a lot of things, especially music theory. Really? But God knew what he wanted to do with me. So, and, um, he did it. So how did, how did you see God, prepare you for your job 40 years ago and to today how how did he work in your life to prepare you for what you're doing well the first my first memory in in this story and it could be a long story so i'll just give you a couple spots as a 17 year old high school kid standing in the back of a small church that probably see it, you know, probably 150, maybe 200 people could fit into this building. And um, with my best friend, and we were singing Wonderful Grace of Jesus. If you don't know that hymn, the mm-hmm. chorus, the guys kind of take over. It's wonderful, the master's grace of, master's grace. Of, and so we're singing that, and me and my friend are hamming it up. <laughs> and in the middle of that, I'm looking around the room and I'm watching these people sing. And I don't even know where it came from, except God. 
Yeah. I thought, is this it? Is this is it? This is it. This is the essence of what it means to worship. worship. Yeah. And and I so I just in my heart I asked that question, God, is this it? And the answer is no. Yeah. Not not dissing that song. That's a it's a great song. It served its purpose in the church, but it was just like that essence of people just singing along without really engaging their hearts. Yeah. And that's what it appeared to me as a young. And so God began in that to stir in me to dig deeper, to try to figure it out. And there are points all along where that kind of happened. And so when I got into Bible college, I got involved in music ministry and had some good people that mentored and lived. But um, uh, um, my wife-to-be was involved in a, a contemporary Christian, early contemporary Christian group. And the first time I saw them, God kind of providentially took me to that. I just wept the whole time because mm-hmm. I'm like, how this is the music that moves me emotionally. Right. And yet it's being sung to God and combining those two things was v- incredibly impactful to me. And so there was lots of little moments that prepared me for, for, for what I did. But the last 10 years, let me jump way ahead yeah. is, um, was a massive realization that my job in the kingdom is not to do music because that's what I thought it was. Yeah. My job is to just do music. But the last 10 years, God has really been refining to say, you know, no, Jim, that's music is wonderful. And I, music, music was God's idea and it's a great gift of the church. But my job is to, to live out the great commission. My job is to evangelize and disciple and build Christ's church through evangelism and discipleship. Um, and that's been a real God continuing to transform my thinking. And then now my goals for music have shifted somewhat mm-hmm. as I see that main purpose goal of every believer, which is to live the gospel. And that's where Brandon Waltz that I work with here, we've worked together for 30 years. And Brandon, if you haven't had him on the podcast, you need to have him on. He he really wed these two ideas for me about 12 years, maybe 15 years ago when we were meeting together at a retreat uh, that we had every year. And I, he, he said to me something about the livable reality of the gospel and I stopped and went, whoa, 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 what did you just say? What does that mean? Yeah, what is that? And, I, and he says, well, he's, he repeated it. And then he said, well, I said, where did that come from? Who, who wrote that? He says, I don't know. I just said it. <laughs> and so that's where we married. We are striving to worship God um, through the livable reality of the gospel. And we, we married these two ideas of music and the reality of the gospel. And that's basically became the the heartbeat of what heart song ministries became then music is just kind of a side piece of a life of worship that is living out the gospel. Um, So a lot to talk about here because there's such a lot of misunderstanding culturally, sociologically with music in the church. It's a lot to talk about. And as I'm looking at the clock, there's another topic I want to get to. So I'm going to, move forward a, a little bit and because um, many of our listeners 
likely remember Hurricane Harvey back in August or mm. in August of 2017, which caused catastrophic flooding and more than 100 deaths in Texas and Louisiana. Mm. As devastating as that event was for the residents in Texas, you probably remember Hurricane Harvey for a different reason. Yeah. Uh, because you had a medical emergency while you were mm. down in Houston serving the people of that city after the hurricane. Right. Uh, and I know that because I was with you. What was your medical emergency? Uh, I started having headaches while I was there. And to shorten the story really short, I ended up in an emergency room in the middle of the night and a doctor walked in and says, you have a brain tumor. And which I still remember just like, okay, what, what does that mean? And they rushed me off to um, the uh, neurosurgical um, hospital in Houston, which I found out later had a world-renowned surgeon. brain surgeon. Yeah. And I was in surgery within a day or so. Yeah. And um, that medically everything turned out well, um, but it was it was really pretty life-shaking. Probably the maybe biggest turning point for me in my life. Can you, um, can you unpack uh, some of that? Uh, um, well, I, I've, I've, I think because of my upbringing, I, I have always struggled with assurance of my salvation. Sure. I mean, it's, I always felt like God's probably upset with me right now. I'm a failure again. I'm sure he's mad at me. Yeah. Uh, I, I just had a lo- those feelings a lot. And, um, but as I was wheeled into the operating um, room that day, I, I, uh, they put the mask on, put me out, and I said through the mask to the, the, the whoever it was that was doing that, um, "Are you putting me out?" And they said, "Yes, just take a deep breath." And I like, I immediately <laughs> held my breath, <laughs> <laughs> and I was convinced at that moment that this was it. Okay. I didn't think I was going to live. Um, and in that, what seemed like 20 minutes, when it was actually 20 seconds probably, I just had this clear voice uh, in my spirit, not audible, but it said, Jim, you're mine. And I had just never felt that assurance and peace in that way. And as I look back at it, my, at my greatest need, my greatest hour, my greatest moment of fear, what if I die? Christ spoke to me and said, you're mine. Yeah. And it was those two words exactly, you're mine. And um, it's hard to explain how profound that was yeah. for me at that time. Yeah. But uh, And God is built on that. And I admit later I'm like, so, so really, God? I mean, all this time, all these years of struggling, and now you're going to speak to me really clearly yeah. and let me know that I'm yours when I'm about to die. And, and, uh, but, he, but he left me here. So He did. And so I have evidently more work to do. You do. Uh, so back to the story. Um, you're, I, I know you're having headaches, and you said you, you uh, had to go in the middle of the night to the hospital. But was it true that, one, you had to wake up Keith Holcomb, who was yeah, your, yeah. your roommate, <laughs> and uh, the initial plan was you guys were going to go to a walk-in clinic, but you couldn't find a walk-in clinic? We couldn't clinic. find one. So We couldn't find a hospital. We actually ended up calling 911. Where is there a hospital? And we're in Houston. Right. That's not, a, that's not Cedarville. <laughs> no. 
And so we finally found something. Yeah, it was crazy. So were you in so much pain at that point that um, this didn't seem comical to you? Or No, 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 it wasn't comical. And I was in, I don't even know how to explain it, but I've talked to other people. You know, I think when we know when there's something really bad wrong with us. And I had never experienced that before. Okay. It was like there were electric shocks going through my head. Wow. And it was just, I thought I was like having an aneurysm or something. I thought I was dying. Yeah. And I said, just, you, you got to get me to hospital. So we're, we're, he, Keith is panicked. I mean, yeah. we're trying to get me oh. to a hospital so I don't die. Yeah. That, we that wasn't a done. funny situation, yeah. but, uh, but it was funny. You thinking back on it. Thinking back on it like, <laughs> You're in a city you don't know. You're trying to find a, a walking no, we're clinic. No, we're driving around on the highway. We actually saw this massive hospital, and the lines were all the the the, the signs were all lit up. You know, such and such hospital. How do I get and there? And we pulled off the highway and drove in it. And it was it wasn't open yet. Really, <laughs> it was being constructed, but they had their sign lit up. And I'm like, why did you light up your sign? <laughs> yeah. So finally, you, you got to the hospital, and and we as obviously it, it all turned out well. So. Um, what about communication with your family? Because, oh, I mean, there, it, it had to be really a quick situation. It happened quick. I don't know who called my, who called my mom, uh, my wife, uh, my, my parents. Uh, who, but my, Melody got on the horn, and all three of my children and her, within 24 hours, were in Houston. And it was, I, I hate, this sounds so weird, but one of the greatest moments of my life, you know, all three of my kids. Like I have a picture of them sitting on the bed with me there. It was just amazing to have them there that quickly. And a lot of people, I mean, John Wood, who yeah. is my boss, right. had just dropped in to see what was going on uh, with the team because we had a team doing work down there, hurricane relief. Right. And he went with me to the hospital and stayed the whole time. And right. the, the people at the hospital thought he was my son. Really? And he kind of let him think that because he, he stayed in the room. He was staying in the room with me. Yeah. And so not to get kicked out of the hospital, he just kind of let him think that because he was checking on and asking questions. And, right. and, um, and, and then I'll, after that, a, a guy from, um, from our church, uh, Lynn Howard, yeah. just walks in the hospital from yeah. Cedarville. I'm like, what are you doing here? And his son was a, a vice president for the Houston Astros. Right who were in the world series at the time. And he was out there right. for the world series and heard that I was in the hospital and just, so God in all these little ways had all of this orchestrated for, and all these even people to be there to minister to me and to care for me. And I was supposed to be in Eastern Europe. Oh, I, I had a trip for that time frame scheduled to Eastern Europe and it fell through. And I think I'm back on, you know, being in Eastern Europe and having this happen and being in who knows what kind of hospital. That's right. So, <laughs> and, and God planted me in Houston where one of the best surgeons in the world was. Yeah. So take that part and lessons learned from this mm. ordeal and how you have been able to take that experience forward to this, this day to minister to people that you come in contact with. Mm. Um, God just, God knows us. And I think this is culturally a very big thing. And with college kids right now, this is a, it's a huge thing. And I've had multiple students say to me in the last few years, I have all of these friends, especially on social media, but nobody knows me. 
I had a student, just those exact words tell yeah. me that just a couple of weeks ago in my office. And I'm hearing this more and more and more. And God knows us. That's a huge foundational piece. He knows where I'm at. He knows my struggle. He knows my sin. And he's not looking away from me. No. He's personally, in minute detail, caring for me. Yeah. Even in my rebellion, yeah. even in my failure, yeah. uh, even in my lack of ability. And my whole life is that. It's like I've always, I've said for years, I mean, I'm like God's joke to the church of, I can use this dude to lead music. I don't need talent. <laughs> I can even use this guy. I, I fully understand. And I don't understand. say that to be funny. I mean, no. I totally mean that. No, I fully understand. And so I, I'm not dissing the gifts that God has given me, but it's um, I'm not anybody's list of great singers or players of music. Yeah. But... Um, God will care for us and he will use us. And even in the life of the team that was down there, those kids were so caring for me. Yeah, they were. And I had shared with them some concepts about prayer and they wrote all these notes to me and and sharing all these things that I had said to them on this trip in a devotional that I had led. Okay. And how much those statements that I made probably on the spot making it up, you know, kind of stuff. And it profoundly impacted them. Well, that's not me. God orchestrated even that, the sub-impact of 20 college kids that happened to be on that trip with me when I had a brain tumor. And they'll probably never forget that. No, probably not. So I remember they they bust back to Cedarville. You stayed back in Houston. Yes. how long did you stay in Houston, and what was the Oh, man, I don't, time? you know, I really don't know. It was several days, but it wasn't very long. I mean, it, it was in and out of brain surgery, and I was released from the hospital like the next day. Oh, wow. And I was uh, some a, another person in the church that we were ministering with, the, a, a, a young lady there, took it upon herself for some reason to adopt me. Oh, really? And uh, she was a young lady that had uh, a past that was rough and, and not, you know, a family situation that was maybe not the best and God laid it on her heart and she started taking care of me. And when I went back for some follow-up procedures, I stayed at her home and uh, my wife and I've continued to stay in, in touch with her. And, and so there's all of these little sub stories of that whole thing. So as I look back, what does it tell me? God is in the business of orchestrating my life, even when I don't know that he's doing it. But because of the seriousness of a brain tumor, I was way more heightened to yeah. seeing it. Yeah. I guarantee he's doing that in your life and in my life right. and every listener's life today, but we may be living in self-sufficiency. We may be like, I got st- I got a task to do today and I'm going to do it by my power and I'm pretty good at my job or whatever we think. That's right. And no, we need him. And he can take us in a moment, in a heartbeat, I learned that too. I was off work for quite a long time. You know, nobody, nothing suffered at Cedarville while I was at home. And that was, that was shattering to me a little bit. (laughs) Demoralizing for you? (laughs) Not really. It was actually exciting, but it was, it was like, you know, life goes on and I'm, I will be here uh, right now and God has work for me to do, but I will soon be gone and I will, I'll be forgotten. Well, people. Except for this podcast. 
That's right. This podcast <laughs> will live forever. But uh, hey, I've enjoyed uh, hearing uh, your story and how the Lord has um, orchestrated every step of your journey. Mm. And uh, he has, he has, and he's done the same thing for for me. And uh, I'm glad you're healthy today um, and serving the Lord faithfully at Cedarville. One last question. And you think back to your 40 years at Cedarville, what brings you the greatest satisfaction? I don't want to sound cliche, but it's, just, it's hands down the students. I mean, I, I am um, amazed that students line up even today. They just want to have coffee with me. Wow. They just want to talk to the old man. That's just, I mean, you think about that. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. And I, I think it says something really good about the students. People like the, you can say whatever you want about culture and, you know, things are falling apart, but there are a bunch of students here that are hungry uh, to know God yeah. and to follow him and figure out what it means to walk with him and serve him. And um, I, I have, that's my greatest joy is a cup of coffee and, some students sitting on the couch in my office and just talking and, and openly about my struggles, their struggles. It speaks about the two lasting things of life, the word of God and people mm. and just developing relationships yeah. with people. And that's what we're, that's what this place is about. That's what we're about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jim, uh, our time is up. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Thanks Great to have me. Great to have you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.